Welcome to an experimental episode of All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories. Let's call it episode 31.5, or better yet, Biographical Bites from Bala, West Laurel Hill Stories, podcast number one. I've been doing All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories for about two and a half years. and In the process of preparing some live tours for West Laurel Hill Cemetery, I've researched dozens of people buried there, and I realized there are a lot of interesting folks who will never make it into a regular themed version of All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories. Now, in terms of research, people have been investigating the Laurel Hill Cemetery population for many years, for decades even. Now I know that West Laurel Hill Cemetery is every bit as interesting, and there's a lot more low-hanging fruit as far as people to be investigated, captivating people who are not covered in standard tours. The standard tours at West Laurel Hill tend to concentrate in the area around the conservatory and the bell tower. They cover maybe one-fifth of the grounds. Remember, the property at West Laurel Hill covers 187 acres. That's more than twice as as much ground as Laurel Hill. Now, since its founding in 1869 by John J. Smith, who had established Laurel Hill Cemetery in 1836, more than 80,000 people have chosen to be interned or inurned on the property. That's a lot of potential subjects for a podcast. In the past few months of All Bones Considered, I've seen a steady uptick in streams and downloads. Currently, a new episode is downloaded about 200 times in the first week, and it reaches 300 downloads or so after a month or so, and there is a steady climb after that. Since I started keeping track about 18 months ago, there have been more than 7,500 downloads of the podcast. That includes more than 750 in September 2021 alone as more people discover the podcast. This mid-month mini-podcast is an experiment. I plan to do one-subject podcasts of West Laurel Hill residents for the next few months and track their reaction. I also want to hear from you, your opinion about this podcast. Joe at joelex.net is my email address. I'm going to start this experiment with the story of someone who was suggested to me by my trainer, who has a very nice collection of antique workout equipment. Welcome to Biographical Bites from Bala, West Laurel Hill Stories number one, Alan Calvert and the Science of Weightlifting. I think it's safe to say that at one time or another, everyone in the United States has lifted weights for health, for strength, for bodybuilding, for rehabilitation, or just for credit in high school. We've known for centuries that weightlifting increases metabolism, lowers body fat, improves strength and muscle function, and bolsters self-confidence. It's been around for as long as human history. One of the most prominent historical weightlifters was Milo of Croton, a 6th century B.C. wrestler, six-time Olympic victor, seven-time winner at the Pythian Games, ten at the Isthmian Games, nine at the Nemean Games. Legend says that Milo saved the life of Pythagoras when a pillar collapsed in a banquet hall, and he supported the roof until Pythagoras could reach safety. It is said that Milo even married Pythagoras' daughter. Uh, 
Uh, she must have spent most of her time in the kitchen, for Milo was purported to have a daily diet of 9 kilograms of meat, 9 kilograms of bread, and 10 liters of wine. Milo is remembered today as the father of progressive resistance, a weightlifting technique in which the amount of weight lifted is increased every day in small increments, so as the lifter would probably not notice much change. Milo is legendarily said to have started carrying a bull calf on his shoulders when both were young, and then carrying the same calf daily as it grew into a mighty bull, and he into a man. Now, jump ahead 2,500 years. We are at 3262 Sansom Street in West Philadelphia, where in 1875, Alan Calvert, no middle name, is born to Pearson Butler Calvert, who's buried at Woodland Cemetery, sole proprietor of a tin plating and metals exporting business called P.B. Calvert & Company at 68 North 2nd Street. Pearson was one of four sons born to British immigrant Thomas Calvert, who arrived in America in 1816 at the age of eight with his maternal uncle, John Graham, from London, England. Graham and his nephew were part of an early wave of European immigrants who traveled to the United States after the Napoleonic Wars ended in 1815. On 15 September 1834, Thomas Calvert married a local Pennsylvania woman by the name of Eliza Lay. They settled down in Philadelphia and he began a cabinet making business. The couple had four children between the years of 1835 and 1846, Graham, Joseph Ashbrook, Anne McDowell, and Pearson Butler, Alan's father. At an early age, Alan Calvert became captivated by the Bible, not the inspirational verses, but the pictures of muscular Roman legionnaires and others. He wondered how he could develop a similar physique. So he obtained a copy of William Blakey's How to Get Strong and How to Stay So when he was only 10 years old. This early treatise on gaining health and bodily vigor through exercise recommended a high number of repetitions using primarily pulley weights and light dumbbells from one pound to no more than one-tenth of one's body weight. Allen also invested in Professor David L. Dowd's instructional booklet on how to use the original health exerciser. Calvert's interest was piqued by these early physical cultural texts, and he got his hands on as many as possible. He began collecting clippings of pictures of strong men when he was 14. This motivated him to join the West Philadelphia YMCA so he could train in their gymnasium. And although he greatly admired the pioneering instructors of weight training, he eventually found that the available courses and weights could only develop his body to a point, and heavier weights were not available. Training with heavy weights was condemned by the experts of the day. They were felt to make men slow, inflexible, and muscle-bound. Alan Calvert felt differently. He was convinced that training with heavy weights had its advantages. As a teenager, he started attending circuses to evaluate the various athletes and their physiques, aerialists and equestrians, acrobats, and especially weightlifters. Each had a body type suited to their profession. 
1893, at age 18, he had his great revelation at the Columbian Exposition in Chicago. When he saw the Arnold Schwarzenegger of his day, the strongman and bodybuilder Eugen Sandow, 1867-1925. Sandow was born Friedrich Wilhelm Müller in the Kingdom of Prussia. He left Prussia at age 18 to avoid military service, and he became a circus athlete. In Brussels, he visited the gym of fellow strongman Ludwig Durlacher, better known by his stage name of Professor Attila, and he was mentored by him. Showman and impresario Florenz Ziegfeld was impressed by Sandow. He hired him to display his strength and his physique, which was considered one of the best in the world in Chicago at the fair. Alan Calvert became one of his biggest fans and started collecting pictures and information about his new hero. Sandow trained and performed using heavy barbells and dumbbells, and he used them in his act. In fact, one of the reasons that strong men join circuses rather than tour independently is so that someone else could be responsible for getting their weights from city to city. When Calvert came home to Philadelphia, he wanted to imitate Sandow's training program and duplicate his physique. But even in the third largest city in the country, he could not find the barbells and the dumbbells to do it. He pored over various sports catalogs from A.J. Reach, who's buried at West Laurel Hill Cemetery, and Albert Spaulding. And it was in vain. These catalogs primarily targeted baseball or football players. And they also advertised boxing and wrestling paraphernalia, but only occasionally light dumbbells. In 1899, Bernard McFadden began publishing his magazine, Physical Culture. Along with strength training, McFadden was a sign of fasting, which he saw as a way for people to rejuvenate their bodies. One of his selling points for fasting appealed to racial prejudices of the day, as he said that fasting was a practice of self-denial that, quote, only civilized white men would choose to embrace, end quote. McFadden's health empire was matched and possibly surpassed by his publishing empire. His other publications included Liberty, True Detective, True Story, True Romances, Photoplay, and the New York Evening Graphic. His magazine Sport was a successful precursor to Sports Illustrated. But McFadden was also not a big proponent of heavy weightlifting. The devices that he developed and sold were lightweight, therefore they were easy to manufacture, to handle, and to ship. Now this was in the heyday of the muscular Christianity movement, a philosophical movement that originated in England in the mid-19th century. It was characterized by a belief in patriotic duty, discipline, self-sacrifice, manliness, and the moral and physical beauty of athleticism. Among its best-known American proponents were Dwight L. Moody and Theodore Roosevelt, who said, There is only a very circumscribed sphere of usefulness for the timid good man. At some point around 1900, Alan Calvert made a momentous decision. He would manufacture and sell heavy barbells for the public. By doing so, he felt that he could improve the appearance of the American male body as well as enhance the standard and respectability of weightlifting in America. 
He apparently felt that his venture had a good chance at being successful since no one else in America was making barbells as their sole business. After all, with football and baseball equipment, the first businesses were begun by athletes in those sports, as they were the ones who first saw the need for better equipment. Calvert was a weightlifter who had been exposed to metalwork through his father's factory and decided to create his own business. Now, fixed weight barbells were becoming more common in big city gymnasiums, as well as machines that depended on pulley weights. But Calvert was thinking catalog sales. He realized that fixed weight barbells would limit his sales, as they would be very difficult and expensive to ship around the country. Instead, he developed weights that had hollow balls on the end, which could be filled with sand or lead shot. Weight could then be added or taken away gradually simply by increasing or decreasing the amount of shot in the balls. In other words, progressive resistance. In April 1902, as an honor to the father of progressive resistance, Calvert opened the Milo Barbell Company at 218 Arch Street, Philadelphia, just around the corner from the Calvert family's tinsmith business. And he started advertising heavily in Physical Culture magazine. Calvert was 27 years old. But like any good inventor, Calvert soon found problems and worked on ways to correct them. For instance, it took time to change from one weight to another with shot or sand. His next innovation was fixed-weight plates, which could quickly and easily be augmented to a bar in a matter of seconds and then secured with a spring clamp. And thus was born the modern barbell, with a bar for a two-handed lift and dumbbell with a bar for a one-handed lift. Other inventors latched onto this idea immediately and started putting out their own products, each tweaked with just a slight improvement over the Milo's. Allen had to move several times as his business expanded. Finally, he was housed in the Mariner and Merchant Building at the southwest corner of 3rd and Chestnut on Banker's Row, just a block from the Corn Exchange National Bank. Calvert's eye was caught by Mary Ulla Githens, 1876-1958, daughter of Benjamin Githens, who was buried at Woodland Cemetery, who was president of the Corn Exchange Bank. Allen and Mary were wed on 18 October 1906 in an Episcopal ceremony. She was apparently not very impressed with her husband's line of work, and she usually referred to him as a broker or a merchant when the subject came up. In the Bryn Mawr Alumni Quarterly of 1907, he's listed as a merchant. They had four children together, and she outlived him by 14 years. Calvert published his own magazine called Strength, beginning in 1914 and ran it until 1920. From 1914 to 1918, he wrote all but one article for the bi-monthly magazine, as well as books about weightlifting and bodybuilding, including The Truth About Weightlifting and Super Strength, both of which remain in print after more than 100 years. He never accepted advertising for the magazine, and he did not even charge a subscription rate for the first few years. Calvert also became a proponent of Fletcherism, invented by food fattest Horace Fletcher of Massachusetts. With his nickname, The Great Masticator, 
Fletcher argued that food should be chewed thoroughly until liquefied before being swallowed. His motto was, nature will castigate those who don't masticate. Fletcher's theories have been debunked. And with the United States' involvement in the Great War, Calvert had difficulty securing paper for his magazine and metal for his weights. Frustrated, he sold both the Milo Barbell Company and Strength Magazine to Richard L. Hunter and Daniel G. Redmond in January 1919, at which point the magazine had more than 40,000 subscribers. He had to sign an agreement, quote, never to re-enter the barbell business, so all my connections with the PC game is at an end, end quote. He was 44 years old. Now, the new owners tried for a few years to keep things running, but the Milo Company filed for bankruptcy in 1935 with $200,000 in liabilities and 900 unfilled orders on their hands. Robert Bob Hoffman of York, Pennsylvania, bought the remains of the business, including publishing rights for Strength magazine. York Barbell remains in business to this day. If you get a chance, visit it for the Weightlifting Hall of Fame and its exhibits just two miles north of York. You will see a full-body cast of Jürgen Sandow, the strong man who inspired Calvert to his life's work. Now, at some point in 1920 or 1921, Calvert moved his wife, four children, one butler, and one or two other servants to 310 Pembroke Avenue in Radnor Township, Delaware County. He continued to contribute sporadic articles on strength and training, which were always placed in a prominent spot near the front of Strength Magazine, which by now was selling advertising to the competition. It was about this time that Calvert became interested in Edward Checkley's training program, a system of exercise that required no weights at all. Quite a turnaround for the father of barbells and dumbbells. As far as books, his crowning glory came in 1924 with the publication of his masterwork, Super Strength, which sold for $2.50 in cloth-bound although there was a limited edition soft leather-bound version that was autographed by Calvert that went for five bucks. Used copies now go for more than $100 each on eBay. Alan Calvert quietly lived another quarter century in St. David's, Pennsylvania. He and Mary raised their four children. Mary was very much involved in the local social scene. When he died in 1944, there was no mention of weightlifting, bodybuilding, or Milo in his obituary. The online catalog at Find a Grave had virtually nothing on him, not even a date of birth or death. This has been corrected. And I had to confirm with the historian at West Laurel Hill Cemetery that the Alan Calvert buried there was the same Alan Calvert. I learned about Alan Calvert from my trainer, Frank, who's a bit of a history buff when it comes to bodybuilding and weightlifting. In his collection of fitness gear, he has a set of Milo weights, which are probably a century old, and yet still look nearly new. And when we were talking during my workout, about a year and a half ago now, he mentioned his interest in Calvert, and out of curiosity, I looked him up, and sure enough, there he was at West Laurel Hill Cemetery. Well, the next day, Frank and I showed up at the gravesite with some mild soapy water and rags. If the stone were marble, we would have just let it be. 
but it was unpolished granite, so we cleaned it up, and it looked pretty good when we were done. And Frank proudly said, who would have thought that one of my heroes was buried within walking distance of my home? Alan Calvert, father of progressive resistance, the modern barbell, and the modern dumbbell in the United States. Buried at West Laurel Hill Cemetery, Everglades section, plot 164. Thanks for listening to this special edition of All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories called Biographical Bites from Bala, West Laurel Hill Stories number 1, Helen Calvert and the Science of Weightlifting. Much of the material I used by permission was from an unpublished dissertation of Dr. Kimberly Beckwith. The title is Barbellism, Alan Calvert, the Milo Barbell Company, and the Modernization of American Weightlifting. Dr. Beckwith is on staff at the Stark Center for Physical Culture and Sports at the University of Texas in Austin. By a total coincidence, one of my medical school classmates, Dr. Lori Wasserberger from University of Texas Health Science Center San Antonio is also on staff there. Remember that the regular edition of All Bones Considered Laurel Hill Stories is available in the last week of the month. The November edition is called Teen Angels. It's about some teenagers buried at the two cemeteries who had tragic, unusual deaths. Biographical Bites from Bala, West Laurel Hill edition number two, will be about illustrator and cartoonist Harold Nair grandson of one of the founders of homeopathy in America, and creator for 35 years of the comic strip The Cats and Jammer Kids. Let me know if you like and want me to continue this mid-month mini-podcast. I have a few more people left before I have to start doing new research. Joe at joelex.net is the best way to reach me. Remember that if you become a member of the Friends of Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill Cemeteries, you will get access to occasional bonus podcasts, plus special tours that at West Laurel Hill include visits inside some of the mausoleums. Visit us at the cemeteries. You can find most of the activities at thelaurelhillcemetery.org. This is Joe Lex, retired professor of emergency medicine from Temple University. Maybe I'll see you on a tour. Stay safe, stay well.